Good afternoon, and thanks to everyone for joining me today. Yesterday, I released a video in which I laid out our government's policy direction on the issues of preserving the choices children have regarding their gender identity until they are mature enough to make them, policies to better involve parents in their children's education on sensitive issues, and finally, policies addressing the issue of women, girls, and transgender athletes in competitive sports. These are sensitive conversations involving children, and I hope we can depoliticize these issues as much as possible as we work through the process of implementing these policies into law and uh, regulation in a fair and effective way. I want to start by saying that every Albertan who identifies as transgender, I care deeply about your happiness and your well-being. I support you in becoming the person that you want to be or who you already are. And as Premier of this province, I will ensure your rights are always protected. For children who identify as transgender, I want you to also know that these policies are being implemented in order to protect the choices you have regarding altering your physical body until after you've grown mature enough to make such choices safely and with a full understanding of what that means for the rest of your life. These policies include a prohibition on gender reassignment surgeries for minors aged 17 and under. For children aged 15 and under, puberty blockers and hormone therapies for the purpose of gender reassignment will also not be permitted, with the exception of those who have already commenced their treatment at this time. For minors aged 16 and 17 who wish to start hormone therapies for gender reassignment purposes, this will be permitted with parental physician and psychologist approval and consent. Alberta's government is also working to attract specialists in gender reassignment surgeries and care to to Alberta to assist adults who have a wish to transition, and we plan to build a private registry of these experts to support their lifelong health needs. In our classrooms, we will ensure discussions about gender identity and other sensitive subjects happen at the right time and with the parent-child relationship at its core. This will include a parental opt-in consent requirement when teachers plan to discuss subject matter related to gender identity, sexual orientation, or sexuality for K-12 students. Further, children aged 15 and under will require parental notification and consent before their name or pronouns are changed in school. For minors aged 16 and 17, parental consent won't be required for this, but parents will have to be notified. We will support families with a new pilot program to provide counseling services for families in in need to assist with navigating these issues together. In rare circumstances, when transgender children experience an abusive parent, there are, of course, child protection laws that will be enforced. And lastly, we are implementing policies to protect fairness and safety in women's and girls' sports. We will work with sporting organizations to ensure that women and girls have a choice to participate in competitive sport without having to compete against biologically stronger transgender women athletes, while also ensuring that we work with those same organizations to expand co-ed and gender-neutral categories so that every uh, transgender athlete can meaningfully participate in the sports that they love. Gender identity can be a very emotional issue, especially in the context of children. And as we move forward developing and implementing these policies into law, I hope we can depoliticize the issue as much as possible and focus on the well-being of the children involved. Thank you. I'd be happy to take questions. Thank you. Uh, We'll be going with one question, one follow-up today. We're very tight on time, so please make sure to respect your colleagues with that one question, one follow-up. 
for those in the room here as well, please give priority to an outlet who has not asked a question if yours has already. We'll start off here on the ground and then we'll go over to the phones and back and forth. Uh, so first up the mic, please go ahead, state your name and outlet first. Alana Smith, Globe and Mail. Um, you've spoken passionately about bodily autonomy, about depoliticizing the conversation around trans and non-binary children, and as in your own words, not using them as a political football. In November, you made clear you wanted to strike a balance on parental rights. The parental rights policies here are more aggressive than any other province, and the restrictions around hormones and puberty blockers are unprecedented in Canada. So what changed that made you take this approach? Well, we know that we have to preserve the rights of kids to be able to make decisions as adults. I think that we've seen in other jurisdictions, I believe in June of last year, New Brunswick made policy changes uh, in the fall um, the uh, Saskatchewan made policy changes. We've been watching internationally as the UK has made policy changes, as well as Denmark, Norway, Finland, Sweden. I mean, this has been an ongoing conversation over the last number of years. We've been monitoring it very closely, and we wanted to make sure that we, we struck the right balance so that kids are not making irreversible decisions when uh, they may not be mature enough to make those decisions. We want to make sure that those adult decisions are made as adults. I'm not sure what the balance is. Can you be more specific? Well, when you uh, begin uh, hormone therapy, there are health consequences associated with that. It is a, a decision that impacts your life. Uh, higher risk of osteoporosis, so there's a need to have bone density tests. There's higher incidence of, uh, of heart problems, so there's a need to have that monitored. Uh, ste stepping on to the next stage when there's a bottom surgery and top surgery that of course has implications for sex and for fertility and so when we start down this pathway we want to make sure that uh, kids know the consequences that it's going to have on their life and that they're mature enough to be able to make those decisions and live with the consequences and, and the, they're adult decisions so we want to make sure that certain decisions are made as adults. Nigel Hadford, Western Standard. Madam Premier, good afternoon. Um, I heard you say just a moment ago that, that uh, one of the things that influenced you was that other jurisdictions were taking steps in this direction, and yet you've never been one to just follow the, follow the herd. In fact, you have been notably elusive on this issue for the time that you've been Premier. May I ask you to articulate the arguments that persuaded you that this strong pro-family policy was the right thing to do? Well, I, I put it through the, the context of a of the children who are struggling with gender identity. And I, I do have a young person like that in my life, so I've been watching this very closely for the last number of years. And I know that uh, that journey is always better when you've got supportive friends and loved ones and family. I know that uh, making sure that, that kids are, are able to make those decisions uh, at the appropriate time as their uh, maturity grows is, has been vitally important from, from what I have observed personally. And I, I want to make sure that that child-parent bond remains strong because the, the family is with you for life. And so when I look at uh, children going through these very difficult uh, decisions through puberty, it's a confusing time, we have to make sure that, that uh, we have that balance of making sure families are supported, but also making sure that the child is able to become who they're meant to be. So those are the reasons why I thought we needed to, to put some of these uh, uh, guidelines in place. I'm also observing around the world, there, there really is a lot of divergence in the medical community about when the right time is for these things. In the absence of providing guideposts, it, it really is going to be just up to the individual doctor. And we just don't think that that's the environment that 
that we should be having here. We should be very clear about when a child is able to commence hormone therapy. That'll be at age 16 with uh, parental and psychologist and doctor approval, and very clear about when they can make permanent irreversible changes to their to their uh, their body in in uh, top and bottom surgery, and that'll be 18 and above. So I think we've struck the right balance here. Many sporting associations receive funding from the provincial government. Will there be a financial incentive for them to act in the spirit of this family-friendly policy? Well, I would say that we want to make sure that every individual has an ability to participate in a competitive way in their sport. And there already are a lot of divisions in sport where they're co-ed or gender-neutral, and we want to maintain that. But we also know that there are some sports where the physical differences um, make a difference. And so in those cases, we do want to have biological women, uh, women who are born biologically uh, female, have the choice of being able to participate in a biological female-only category while still preserving the uh, gender-neutral categories and co-ed opportunities so that everyone has a, a, the ability to participate. So I'm, I'm, uh, we've been, uh, there's, there are many sporting organizations who have been asking for this clarity. I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll be able to, to work through and, and provide options for everyone. So my Minister of Tourism and Sport is going to be commencing that discussion. But I'm, uh, from the feedback that we're getting, I think that this is, this is going to be welcomed by, by several sports. Thank you. Hi, Colette DeWars from the Canadian Press. Um, you've talked a lot about um, having a non-binary family member. Um, how much did your discussions with them and or other non-binary individuals, youth especially, did that play into this decision and, and how? I've been... Um, consulting with members of the transgender community since the last time I was in politics. And one of the the constant things that I hear is how difficult it is to get connected with somebody who understands transgender medicine, the need for ongoing hormone therapy, and managing the health conditions that come from being on a lifetime of hormone therapy. Um, I met with Lois Cardinal, who, as you may know, uh, felt that she was rushed into bottom surgery and um, is having consequences of that. And her great frustration is that there hasn't been appropriate medical aftercare for that. And so those are the kind of things that I was struck by is how can we make sure that those who make the choice to go down this pathway to af- to uh, affirm their new identity have the, the, the physical uh, support that they need through that process, have doctors who are trained in, in, in the type of medicine, have the ability to have those surgeries in province right now. We, uh, we send those individuals to Quebec, and we just don't have the same level of ability to do aftercare. And so we want to attract somebody um, into our province, we're working on that right now, who can do the surgeries here so the aftercare can be done here. And we also want to develop a, a registry of doctors who are able to provide this type of treatment long-term so that nobody has to guess whether or not their doctor is educated enough to be able to provide them the care. So I would say that I've been very influenced over, over many years talking to m- many individuals in the transgender community and helping to, d- to develop that approach. Um, we heard 
uh, I've heard, I talked to a legal expert who said that parental rights are not really a thing in Canada. It, uh, children's rights are. They're enshrined in the Charter. How confident are you that these new policies won't violate the Charter and the Canada Health Act as well if you're reducing access to services? Well, you know, I, I guess I'll, I'll have the, the lawyers debate that out, but, but my understanding is that uh, parent, it's, it's, it's pretty well understood that uh, parents are principally responsible for their children up to uh, and including age 15. Um, at age 16 or 17, that's, of course, when kids um, develop a little bit more autonomy. And we, we do have um, children along that spectrum able to make different types of decisions, and they don't become able to make fully adult decisions on a lot of things until they're 18. So this is why you see in the, our policy that um, as 16 and 17 is the, process, is the point at which they can begin the process with, um, with input from, from parents. There is also, of course... Um, the, uh, there, have been, uh, there has been legal jurisprudence around the issue of mature minors, so I'm sure that there's a case law that can be drawn on this. It's a, a fairly rare to, to, have, to be established as a, a mature minor, so I, I think that the practice has been that we do rely on parents to be able to provide for their kids. Kelly Kreiderman, Globe and Mail. Premier, you talked here about what is happening in Europe, but what is different from... Europe than what you've laid out here is you are talking about codifying restrictions on what youth, what healthcare youth have access to. In that codification, will there be penalties for healthcare providers, parents, or teachers who breach the rules, who maybe take their child to another province for a surgery or a treatment? Well, I would I would hope that uh, that doctors doctors follow uh, the rules. I would hope that they would follow the rules as we've laid them out here. And um, the, uh, we're, we're aiming to be supportive of children's rights. We, we want to make sure that children do not prematurely make decisions that are going to be irreversible and affect their ability to have sex and affect their ability to have children until they're of an age where they're fully responsible for those decisions. That's age 18. So um, I think that we've struck a, a, reasonable, a reasonable balance, and I, I would hope that we would get the support of both the medical profession as well as the, the school community. So again, will there be penalties for those who don't follow the rules? We have just uh, put out the high-level policy at the moment. We'll be talking about implementation as we go forward in the, uh, over the, the coming months. We're looking at having... Uh, those things that need to be legislated um, um, or put into regulation or policy, having that package ready for the fall. So we'll be seeking consultation on the implementation of it. Hi, uh, Premier Jason Marksoff from CBC. I think a lot of people uh, might take different interpretations of what uh, depoliticizing or not politicizing this uh, may be. Did you or do you believe that the premiers and governments of New Brunswick and Saskatchewan had politicized this issue? I, I think that what we're doing here with our package of proposals, and there's 10 of them, is that we're, we're trying to, um, to demonstrate that we understand that uh, beginning the process of transition is just one step. And there are other steps along the way that have serious consequences for kids. So uh, changing how you dress... And the pronouns that you have is just one step. The next step, which is far more serious, is puberty blockers and hormones. The following steps, top and bottom sur- surgery, are, are, even, are even more serious steps. And so we want to make sure that as kids embark upon 
those life-changing decisions that were very clear about uh, the appropriate level to be able to make those, those decisions. There has to be a certain level of maturity, of understanding, the consequences, the full consequences of what that transition means. And then at age 18 is when, of course, a, a person becomes fully responsible for all of their decisions. So we, we look at this as, as an entire package that we want to put forward so that we can make sure that we're giving the, the best support to kids and the best support to transitioning adults. You didn't answer that, but I'll try something else. Thanks. Um, do, how do you reconcile, or I'm trying to square the idea that you want to support these children in, any, in all journeys they want, but also you're worried they're going to make a terrible mistake that's going to alter their life and make them unable to have sex. How do those two come together? Well, I, I mean... Are they I, making a mistake, or are they, do you support their journey? I would say that we, I support the journey of, of adults who want to transition to another gender as, uh, as far as, um, as, as they are adults and able to, to accept the consequences of those decisions. I, I certainly do not want um, children to be making decisions before maybe they've even had sex about whether they want to, to, uh, to stop that aspect of their life or before they've even contemplated whether they want to have kids to cut off that aspect of their life. I think that as adults, we, we have a, an obligation to ensure for kids that they preserve all of those important choices until they're adults, until they're able to make those decisions with, uh, with the maturity that goes along with that. So that's, um, that I think it's, it is supportive, and we want to make sure that in every step of that journey that the, the kids feel supported by their families and supported by uh, mental health support if that's what they need. Uh, but that is, um, I think that when you're talking about irreversible decisions, the, that falls into the category of adult choices. And so we want to make sure that they're making those choices as adults. And we're going to hop over to the phones for a couple questions here and then come back to the room. Operator, can you put through our first caller here, please? Yes, thank you. The first question is from Kean Bexty, the counter signal. Hi, Premier. Thanks for taking my question. Uh, the Liberals, the NDP and mainstream media haven't waited a second to attack Alberta for banning this organ removal of children or for protecting young girls in sports. And I'm just wondering if you're worried that this is sort of reaching sort of a fever pitch. I know you wanted to, to depoliticize the issue, but the left is keen on politicizing it. Are you worried about vindictive retribution in the form of reduced health transfers from Trudeau? Well, first of all, we're not, we're not stopping any covered service. Um, we do about 100... Uh, transgender approvals for surgery every year, and about a quarter of them are aged uh, 18 to 25, just for context, so that you know, in 2020-2021, there were uh, 104 individuals approved for surgery, 25 of them, 18 to 25. In 21-22, it was 119 approved for surgery, 27 uh, in the 18 to 25 category. And I only have partial data for 22-23. It was uh, a 19 as of this point in the year that I was looking at, uh, three of which were 18 to 25. So that's not going to change. In fact, we're going to provide more support because rather than sending those individuals to Quebec to get the surgery, we are going to attract a doctor here so the surgeries can be performed here, as well as the aftercare, which has, is uh, very important in the case of, of, of some of the, uh, the t especially the, the bottom surgery. So there's nothing that's changed there. When it comes to um, hormone therapies, those are covered by a parent's uh, drug plan. And so, again, those are not uh, therapies that are, are currently uh, covered by government. They're, they're covered by, by parents' drug plans. And I would just say that um, 
just in the case of the federal government, uh, last year, the federal government passed a new agreement with federal employees for health benefits, and this agreement recognizes that benefits should only apply for gender-affirming procedures for adults 18 years of age or older. So I'm not quite sure why the Minister of Health would take such a strong position when their own employee insurance plan only supports adults receiving these treatments. So we are being, I think, very responsible in the approach that we're taking. We are going to continue providing the same services that we've always had. We're going to make sure that they're even better so that those who are transitioning get the uh, appropriate aftercare and uh, counseling support that they need. And so, you know, I welcome the discussion, but there is nothing that we are doing that um, would, would violate the Canada Health Act. The, uh, just to follow up, the parents' advocacy groups in Canada and, and, frankly, internationally have been applauding this policy. One said that this is a common-sense measure that is 100% necessary when it comes to keeping parents informed about the safety of their children. There's been a lot of support for this. A lot of, you know, there's been a lot of opposition from the opposition. But I'm curious, like, where you stand on invoking the notwithstanding clause if it comes to that. Will you do that? I, I hope it doesn't come to that. I mean, um, we're, we're putting this forward with the best interest, uh, best interest of the child in mind, and we believe that the child's best interests are served by having a supportive family walking every step of the way with them. We believe that the child's best interest is served by making sure that when they're making decisions that it doesn't have, um, it's, not a, it's not irreversible until they're of an age where they're prepared to live with the consequences of that. So um, I, I think because of, of those aspects, I would, I would hope that, uh, that, this is, that this is supported. I, that's the spirit with which we've gone into it, is to making sure that we're protecting children's rights and children's choices. Thank you. Operator, can you put through the next caller, please? Thank you, yes. Uh, Lisa Johnson, Edmonton Journal. Hi, thanks Hi. for taking my question. Um, I'm wondering, my understanding is that your legal first name is Marlena. Why did you choose, I'm wondering why did you choose to go by a different name and why you would take steps to restrict the same freedom uh, for others to do the same? Well, my mother's going to get a great kick out of that uh, question because I've been, I've been ever since 9-11, I've been telling her how difficult it is that she decided to have me go by my middle name and not my first name. It was my parents' choice to call me Danielle, and it was my parents' choice to put on my birth certificate that Marlena Danielle Smith, they just liked the ring of it better. That's actually what it comes down to. They didn't do the same thing for my older brother. He goes by his first name, not his middle name. My middle sister, she goes by her first name, not her middle name. Um, my two um, other brothers also go by their first name, not their middle name. They just decided to make a, a difference with me. They liked the name Danielle, but they didn't like the ring of Danielle Marlena Smith. That's what it comes down to. Did you have a follow-up, Lisa? Yeah, thanks for that. Um, critics of this cluster of policies have asked how you feel about the fact that you have restricted the rights of vulnerable young people in Alberta to gain favor with the far-right wing of voters in your party, which are a pretty small representative population of the province. Marjorie, can you respond to that? I, I would say that we're supporting kids in, in their right to make decisions 
about their own journey at a time when they're mature enough to make those decisions. So age 16 is when they can begin with uh, the hormone therapies, and age 18 is when they'll uh, be able to to commence top and bottom surgery. We just think that that's a responsible way of approaching this, this issue so that the kids are not precluded from all of the future choices that come to them. Uh, when they when they decide to make the decision that is that is going to have uh, potentially serious ramifications on their reproductive rights, and so we think that this is preserving of choice. Thank you, operator. Could you put through the next caller, please? Uh, thank you, Janet French, CBC. Hi there. Um, when it comes to the parental notification requirements and trans health decisions, I wonder if you can provide uh, a a list for us of which peer-reviewed research you use to rely upon to inform these decisions, because medical experts are telling us today that they weren't consulted about this. Will you commit to providing a list? And if instead this was based on people's feelings and feedback and not evidence, why do people's feelings take precedence over evidence? Well, there's, there's lots of, of uh, published material. Uh, as I mentioned, UK, Denmark, Norway, Finland, Sweden, we've also seen a, a break in the uh, community last year when one, um, uh, one organization talked about reducing the, uh, the thresholds, and they ended up losing a board member and, and other supporters over that. There's an, uh, a different organization that has the endocrine uh, doctors that have different parameters. They're actually a little bit closer to what we've proposed here. And there are other medical associations that actually don't uh, prescribe ages. So this is why I would say that there, there isn't one single narrative and there isn't one single answer and there isn't one single um, authority that we we have to that we can rely on on this so a lot of it is is going to be looking at the impact on kids and I think most people would acknowledge that if somebody is making an irreversible decision that could end their ability to have children that that's a decision they should make as an adult that's certainly the the feedback that that I've gotten um, it's it's and it seems to me the the most reasonable approach I, I should say I mean that is has been the practice in Alberta, is that you cannot have top, uh, you cannot have bottom surgery until you're aged uh, 18 or over. And so, as I've been watching around the world, this conversation taking place, we're affirming that that practice is going to to continue here. That we don't want kids making irreversible decisions before the um, before they're adult enough to be able to understand the ramifications and consequences of it. So, um, yes, we're watching the shifting and evolving debate in the medical community with interest. But we think it's important that we set some guidelines so that those who are going through this journey know the decision points where they can commence hormone uh, treatment and where they can commence surgery. And did you follow up, Janet? Yeah, just to go back to that, uh, I mean, my question was whether you would commit to providing us with a list of those resources, so I'd like you to chime in on that. But for my second question, I mean, I can already hear the school officials just dreading the paperwork required to opt every single student into every single lesson that touches on sex education, gender identity, and sexual orientation. I mean, some people might predict that teachers would now avoid those lessons to get around that extra work when they're already so busy. So can you explain why making it harder for children to learn about sexual health is a benefit? Hmm. Well, I, I guess if, if, uh, if teachers are indeed talking to kids about sex every single day, every day of the school year, then I guess that this policy 
it has demonstrated why we need to put it in place. But if, as I suspect, uh, there is structured education on structured days, then I don't think it's a hardship for schools to say, this is the day that we're going to be discussing issues of sexuality, sexual orientation, and gender identity. I, it shouldn't be onerous. It actually should be fairly straightforward to be keeping parents in the loop on these issues. Thank you. And we're going to come back to uh, in person here. We have time for two more questions. Uh, so we'll go to the mic. And I'll say it's City News. Uh, I'm sure you're aware of the criticism that is coming around with this announcement. It's not just the federal health minister, but also the justice minister, the transgender society, and uh, the people, and the Alberta NDP who are calling this a political stunt. Uh, what is your response to that? Absolutely not. I mean, issues involving kids' reproductive health are not, are not a political stunt. Uh, that is essential for us to show leadership in preserving kids' choices so that they, if they choose to at some future point, decide that they want to have kids, that they haven't prematurely made a decision they can't live with. So that's very serious. And that's the reason why we felt it was important that we put these, uh, these guidelines in place. Um, there are, uh, I would encourage you to consult widely um, in the uh, gay and transgender community, because once again, just like among doctors, there isn't a single voice. It, there's a number of different um, uh, individuals who are from the community who also want to make sure that kids' choices are not cut off prematurely and that there is appropriate care, uh, mental as well as physical aftercare. Uh, we, um, we have a number of, of people that we can uh, give you who are uh, prepared to, to, uh, to, to add some commentary to your story if you're interested. I think Sam yeah. has a, a list of individuals who'd be happy to give you some, some of their uh, perspective as well. You touched upon the implementation briefly. Could you explain a little more uh, how long are we seeing for the implementation, a few months, a year, or longer? I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that we'll probably have what, whatever policies need to be changed in legislation, that would be scheduled for the fall. Um, and so we would probably proceed with a, a package. If it's a regulation, legislation, and policy changes, we're, we're looking at, at doing implementation in the fall. Thank you. Last but not least. <laughs> Oh, definitely least. Uh, Rick Bell, Post Media. Um, the federal liberals, following on the last question, are deeply troubled by what's happening. It's not the first time the federal liberals have been deeply troubled by your government. Um, and they want to come and talk to your health minister about this. And they have uh, grave concerns. Uh, what is your thought about uh, being uh, lectured on this policy by... Uh, <laughs> your good friends in Ottawa. Well, if they want to demonstrate leadership, then why did they prohibit their employees uh, from getting gender uh, support for their choices until they're 18 plus? So I would just ask them not to be hypocrites on this and uh, to not politicize it, which they're clearly doing. We, we know that uh, we are going to be supporting kids who go through this journey with the mental health support that they need, with the family support they need, uh, when they get into age 16 and, and 17 with the hormone therapies that they choose to have, and when they turn 18 and, um, and, and ask for, uh, for top and bottom surgery, we have a process for approving that, and we're going to make sure that there are sufficient doctors who can provide that ongoing care as well as the surgery being done here and, and aftercare. So I would say that maybe they could work with other provinces to, to go as far as, as we are in providing the full scope of care for, uh, for all individuals who are going down this life journey. I, I think that um, it's been a, a bit of a gap in our health system that we've been sending people to, to Quebec 
and then not following up with the care that they need. I think it's a bit of a gap that we have transgender individuals who don't have uh, the, the lifelong primary care that they need to support their very unique health needs. So th that's a, as much a part and parcel of this proposal as, as any of the other aspects. And I think that that's an appropriate area for the health minister to look in to see if there's other ways that he can get other provinces to help bridge that gap. Um, within a few minutes of your video, there were a lot of people on social media who were very critical. And you've heard some of the criticisms that you're captive of extremists in your party, that you're deliberately hurting children, that your policies are dangerous. And to quote uh, the Calgary Mayor Gondek, uh, it's an infringement of human rights and, um, and many other things. What, it, what, what do you say to those people who are, you know, quite, in, in many cases, quite emotionally invested here and making those claims, you know, Danielle Smith not fit to lead, et cetera, et cetera. And also, are you confident you have most Albertans on side on this issue? So it's kind of a two-part. So, the, you know, the one is what you say to those people, the critics, who've come out publicly and slammed you in every way. And are you confident you're speaking for the majority? Because they say they're speaking for the majority. I am confident that Albertans do not want children to make irreversible decisions that impact their reproductive health. I am confident that they do not think that those are child decisions to make, that those are adult decisions to make. I am also confident that parents love their kids and they want to know what's going on with their kids. It doesn't matter what perspective they come from. They want to make sure that uh, they're walking the journey with their child every step of the way. And anyone who's trying to put roadblocks in that child-parent relationship, they've got to, I, I don't think they have public support. I mean, that said, we, we do know that there are going to be difficult conversations to be had. That's why we are going to be supporting a pilot project to ensure that families are able to have counseling right alongside with the kids. And if there is ever an instance where a child feels rejected or, or at risk of harm, we have a child protection service, and we are going to make sure that those kids also have a safe environment to be in. So I, I would say that this is the right balance. This is what I believe Albertans expect of us to do to make sure that we're protecting kids' choices. Thank you. And that's all the time we have for questions today, people. Thank you, everyone, for joining us.